We are honored to have GC alumni, Dominique Burgunder Johnson, Arvis Dawson, and Ann Barry here with us today. They will share their stories with us, and after that, I will tell a little bit of my own story about my experience here at Goshen College. Dominique Burgunder Johnson spent the first 18 years of her life in a small German town. She graduated from GC in 2006 with a dual degree in history and peace, justice, and conflict studies. Since graduation, she has participated in the Mennonite Voluntary Service working with Global Exchange. She now works for National Wildlife Federation as an online campaigns manager. In her free time, she tries to dance and laugh as much as possible. Please help me in welcoming Dominique Burgunder Johnson. Good to be back here, a lot um, warmer than I thought it was going to be. So. Um, so last week, I, like millions of Americans, um, tuned in to hear the President's State of the Union address. For those of you that tuned in um, or just simply heard rumblings of it later, yeah, you probably know um, a lot of it was more of the same, Republicans and Democrats, jobs, war, hope, harmony. Um, but in between the lines of all of that familiar rhetoric, um, I did hear a challenge which I'd like to pose to all of us here this morning. Last week in his address to his colleagues and the nation, President Obama said, as hard as it may be, as uncomfortable and contentious as the debates may become, it's time to get serious about fixing the problems that are hampering our growth. Now, President Obama's statement was obviously a pointed comment on the politics that have stalled progress over the past year in our nation. Um, for too many of our elected officials in Washington, taking a strong position, making a bold move, demonstrating true leadership is just too much of a risk. A risk of losing campaign funding, a risk of losing their party's favor, a risk of losing, of course, their positions of power. But in operating within the confines of their safety nets, um, and staying within the boundaries of kind of the familiar. Uh, we're now at debates and drafts and debacles later, and as we know, there's been very little progress over the past year. Now, I think that many of us, whether we're really engaged with it or not, kind of have a general sense of the macro politics that impede our national progress. Um, but for a moment, let's allow Goshen College, allow each of us here this morning as individuals of the campus community to consider what are the uncomfortable and contentious debates that are ha hampering our growth right here, right now. In the context of our theme this morning on different shades, what are the uncomfortable and contentious debates that are hampering our potential to attract and retain a higher number of racial and ethnic minority students? And ultimately, what is hampering our potential to fully exemplify our value for diversity here? Now this challenge which I posed is one that I hope can be informed by some of the stories that you'll hear both from current and past students this morning, um, but also of course from my thesis research, um, part of which is being released for a wider audience today. So now all that being said, I do wanna pause for a minute um, and just affirm for everyone that I'm with you on this challenge. I'm not just leaving it all up to you. Um, 
I am a black, German, African-American, biracial, multicultural, bilingual, now pacifist from a military family. So trust me that I can totally empathize <laughs> with the need, yeah, good job, Goshen. Um, I can empathize with the need for boundaries, with the need for consistency, and definitely with the need for roots. Also, I currently work for one of America's largest and oldest conservation organizations. So I totally get that we've got stakeholders, that we've got institutional politics, that we've got a tradition to uphold. But to state it directly, I understand that we've got to draw the line somewhere to maintain both our theological and cultural identity as Mennonites. And I'm not here to challenge those roots. Um, in fact, I count those roots as part of my own. They are what first drew me here eight years ago and would have drawn me here today. Um, all right, instead, the roots that I am referring to were actually best identified for me with the five core values that Goshen articulated um, for itself during my years here. And those five values were being Christ-centered, being compassionate peacemakers, passionate learners, global citizens, and servant leaders. So now with all that being said, um, I am here this morning to challenge us to consider that with those values that I just named as what I see as the deep-seated roots of our institution and also ultimately of our faith community, can we part from sort of these dead limbs of institutional policies or cultural practices that are actually isolating those who sincerely want and should be fully embraced by this community? Can we part from these dead tree limbs that and, and trusting in kind of the strength of our foundation um, to open ourselves to allowing new branches, new sprouts, and perhaps even new roots to form. But before we get lost too much in sort of those bigger questions, I do wanna go over some of kind of the answers that were revealed through my own research here. So just to summarize and highlight some of the findings of my research, I've kind of broken it out into five simple overarching themes that I found. Um, the first of which is that I think that Goshen College's intentions have always been pretty good. Um, for decades, the college has articulated a desire to attract and retain a high number of racial and ethnic minority students. And along with that has also, for decades, stated its belief that diversity was an essential part of expressing its core values. Um, from enrolling its first black students in 1943 to explicitly stating in the early 60s a desire to raise specifically black student enrollment to 5%. Um, for those of you that have heard kind of similar notions in the past few months or years, that's kind of nothing new. We've been saying that for a long time. Uh, second of all, the college has taken concrete steps to support its expressed desire to increase minority student enrollment. Um, over the decades, the institution has unarguably made kind of active attempts to recruit minority students, especially from urban areas um, and from local area high schools. Uh, some of the stories that you'll hear from other folks this morning, as well as stories that I found in my research, readily affirm that. Um, third of all, uh, there have been proven successes in Goshen's recruitment efforts. 
recruitment efforts that were started kind of early in the 1960s eventually did lead to a peak in black student enrollment in 1971. Um, at that time, the college counted over 64 African-American students um, on campus, which represented uh, over 5% of the total student population. Now, this number was fairly reflective of kind of national trends that were happening on other campuses across the nation. Um, but Goshen actually still did have higher numbers, higher percentages than other Mennonite colleges. Then a fourth theme, uh, Goshen College's African-American students have continuously expressed challenges that they face on campus. Um, well, I don't want to make any generalizations um, about the individual experiences of black students here on campus. Uh, throughout the decades, there definitely did appear to be one very commonality um, that I'm sure will also come across in some of the stories this morning. Um, and I think that kind of overarching theme was real feelings of isolation and rejection. Um, the vast majority of black students arriving to Goshen over the decades, um, especially in the past, were coming from lo uh, lower socioeconomic, um, a lot of times sort of non-culturally Mennonite backgrounds, um, urban settings and they were met by a very different experience and a very different ethos than of Goshen's majority culture, being white, middle-class, rural, and ethnically Mennonite. Um, so whether it be the issue of dancing, the issue of music, um, the issue of food, there were distinct cultural practices that were not accounted for um, and, and, or welcoming, I guess, and inviting kind of this new demographic to be a part of its community. Um, and of course, that leads to the last point, um, which is that Goshen College has consistently kind of struggled with retaining African-American and also other ethnic and minority students over the years. Um, and there have been concentrated efforts made, of course, to respond to some of the challenges uh, that were being expressed by African-American students over the years. Um, from student-initiated efforts, like in the 60s, uh, there was one student that kind of voluntarily participated in a, in a college exchange program uh, where he spent a semester at a historically black college. Um, yeah, so throughout the years, there's also been student groups, um, sort of ally groups that have formed. Um, then also, of course, there's been plenty of uh, efforts made by the administration. Um, you know, committees, new staff hirings, diversity education programs. These are literally things that have been happening for almost 40 years now here. And yet, still kind of following that peak of enrollment that happened um, in the early 1970s, the African-American student population here at Goshen uh, throughout the 80s and the 90s and now into this new millennium has still stayed sort of under 3%. Um, now, all that being said, I do want to kind of bring up one small counterpoint, um, and that is that I don't think we should entirely shift responsibility uh, for this just simply on kind of an inevitable uh, clash of cultures or just kind of this is the microcosm of social realities. Because um, I can say that, you know, as I mentioned, there's been concentrated efforts to also draw more uh, African-American and minority students that came from specifically Mennonite backgrounds, and yet that still hasn't really significantly increased uh, that demogra demographic on this campus. 
Um, and also, just from my research, I think there's plenty of anecdotal evidence um, and kind of a reoccurring thing I heard in my interviews and also in reading like old copies of the records and, the, and, and that kind of thing um, was that students weren't really criticizing any of those core roots that I named earlier. Um, in fact, a lot of them were able to kind of speak very favor favorably about their experiences here at Goshen um, and could kind of draw these direct connections between their experiences here at Goshen and a lot of successes and achievements that they had later on in life. Um, so there's something larger going on here, I guess is all I wanna say with that. Um, and in summary, I guess, kind of of all my, my research and findings, uh, what I've discovered that throughout the history uh, of Goshen College is that I've, there's very obviously a desire, a value, and a cry in some ways to increase our college community's racial and ethnic diversity. And yet, through my research, um, and also through my own personal experiences here, there's just kind of been the cycle of actions that have been unable to really fully realize those desires. And so kind of my personal assessment of all that is that in perhaps making some really bold and yes, structural, scary changes within our own institution that might actually allow and invite a space for harder questions and more contentious debates um, and harder answers, we might just be able to finally break this cycle that's hindering our growth. So finally, um, I'd just like to end with the same words that I concluded with in the foreword to my paper, and that is that I see this historical paper as merely an exposition, and my hope is that readers will feel inspired to move the story forward and finally bring this narrative to its climax. Thank you. Arvis Dawson graduated from Goshen College in 1976 with a K-12 teaching certificate in physical education. He retired from teaching after 31 years and is now the executive assistant to the Elkhart mayor. In the summer of 1968, as a 15-year-old high school sophomore, Arvis Dawson stood on the floor of the Democratic National Convention in Chicago with his mother and Mayor Richard Daley. In August of 2008, Arvis participated in the Democratic National Convention in Denver as an official delegate. We are so glad to have Mr. Dawson here with us today. Please join me in welcoming Mr. Arvis Dawson. I didn't expect such a uh, eloquent introduction. I didn't know you knew all that information. Uh, when they asked me to come do this, I was more than honored. Uh, one of the things about Goshen College, I, I tell people, uh, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times, but it was the best decision that somebody ever made in my life, and I'm not sure exactly who that somebody was. Uh, and I like to believe it was a Mennonite church in Goshen College. I, I say that because uh, I'm part of the uh, peak of uh, 71, when all the African Americans were here uh, at the, at, on this campus. I graduated from college on June 25th. On June 26th, I was at Goshen College. I went from the south side of Chicago, which was urban, African-American, 
to the south side of Goshen, which was rural, white, 99.9%. So there was a transition there. A slight one, but a transition. And uh, she talked about the retention problem. Uh, if you've ever been on Goshen College in the third and fourth term, there's nobody here, there's nothing in Goshen. In 1971, there was really nothing. There were, there were cornfields uh, where the soccer field is now, so there was nothing to do. So uh, I had kind of made the decision that uh, I wasn't staying. So I called my mom and I said, uh, I think I'm, I'm going to leave. She says to me, well, where are you going? Uh, I said, I'm coming home. She said, you can't come back here, you know, <clears throat> because education was so important to my parents. I would often ask them, how far did you go in college? Uh, how far did you go in school? My dad said, I went to the steps, you know. So for, for me to be the first one for my family to go to college was a big thing for them. And uh, they helped me to understand that. I was asking about chapel, too, my experience here. We had to go to chapel. With, we had chapel convocation five days a week. And you had to go twice a week, and you had to turn the computer car. And I asked how often you had to go here, and there's only chapel twice a week. You know, so, so things have, have, uh, have really changed. The best of times for me were the, the experiences that I had here at Goshen College. Uh, I had grown up South Side. I was born in Jackson, Mississippi. I come from a family of 13. I was number nine in that family. Uh, so we never went on a vacation, as you might imagine. Uh, so kind of coming to college was a vacation. I had never, that I could remember, slept in a bed by myself, you know, until I got to be 18, had my own room and, and bed on here on campus. So those things to me were, were different. Uh, I had never actually been discriminated against because of the color of my skin. Uh, and I'm sure I'd been discriminated against because I was short or, or, or something, but never because of the color of my skin. But so that experience here to me was quite different. Uh, I can remember in the, uh, they used to have Klein's department store downstairs. And the first time I saw in 1971 or 72, there was a Ku Klux Klan rally here in Goshen. And I was at Klein's and uh, I'd heard about the Ku Klux Klan, you know, uh, their history, but I'd never actually seen that. So I wanted to see for myself. And the uh, owner of the department store says, probably not a good idea if you go out there right now. You know, so he walked me to the window, and that was something I got to experience. Again, that was the worst of times and the best of times. But at the same time, the decision that I made to uh, go out and look at that and have this individual from Klein explain to me what that was all about was something I would not have experienced uh, in that positive vein had not I been in this institution. Uh, I, got, I got Roman Gingrich who the Gingrich Center is named after right now. Uh, so I, I went to school long enough to go that you know, one of my professors has a building named after him. <laughs> uh, he, he and uh, Harold Yoder, John Ingle, these were the phys ed, phys ed department, were uh, just great mentors to me. Uh, I try to mentor African-American kids because I think it's important that African-American males have an African-American man in their life. In my case, I had my dad, so I had an African-American male in my life. But I never had males in my life who had the, uh, the wisdom that, that some of these individuals I talked to you about had. Uh, and, and, I'm, and I'm grateful for having that opportunity to, to have been tutored under those individuals. Some of the uh, stories that I could tell you about Goshen. Uh, 
Roman Gingrich, we were in a class, I was just sharing this with some, some people earlier. He, uh, there were three African-American males in a kinesiology class. Uh, and you might remember some of them, uh, Vic Cheney, Willie Woods, and myself, there were the three of us in there. Roman called Vic Cheney Willie Woods, called him the wrong name. And, and Vic was the kind of guy, he took that personal, you know. And uh, Roman says, uh, well, I'm sorry, but you all look alike, you know. No, no, and, and I laughed because I knew Roman Gingrich, you know, and I'm thinking, okay, well, Roman, I feel the same way. Some of you guys all look alike to me, too, you know. <laughs> so there were experiences like that that I had that let me know that that, that, that was genuine. That was not something that was meant to be racial or, or discriminatory or, or anything. Uh, I often kid people because of some of those experiences. If your name is Yoder, Miller, Detweiler, Hartzler, I mean, you get a pass with me right away. Just off the top, you're good people. So uh, those experiences really helped form my life uh, as a man. And spiritually, uh, the, the faith that the Mennonite church had in me uh, was phenomenal. I basically, uh, when I came here in uh, June, my GPA, I took two courses, two English courses under Vernon Schertz. Uh, another outstanding gentleman here at, at the college. And my GPA was like 3.8, highest it ever was gonna be, you know, it ever was, you know. And uh, in the fall when everybody came and, and, and uh, being a, uh, away from home, having uh, the freedom that I never had before, you know, I kind of strayed away from my studies. Uh, so in December, when, the, when, when grades come out, uh, as you might uh, have guessed, mine weren't very good. Roman Gingrich took the time to come out to my dorm room, to my dorm room, because I got this letter of acad academic probation. You know, I didn't know what that was. <laughs> and so uh, I went to my counselor, Roman, and he told me, he says, uh, you know, this is what you gotta do. You gotta do better. You know, if you need help, you come see me. I'll get you help. When I needed help, I went to see Roman. He got me help. If I didn't understand something, uh, he took the time to explain it to me. That was the kind of education I got here. That was the kind of experience I had with the professors here. And that was the kind of experience I had with the people here, that they were genuine. So, so that in itself was an outstanding opportunity for me. Uh, I got to visit uh, a lot of wonderful places. Uh, I often talk about the uh, Lancaster County, I call it the Mennonite Mecca of the world. Uh, I spent a lot of time there, made some great friends here. and. Uh, the experiences I had here at Goshen College, like I said, they were the best of times, they were the worst of times, but they were the best decision that somebody ever made for me in my life. Thank you very much. Ann Berry has worked as a graphic designer since finishing her undergraduate degree at GC in 1999 and a master's of fine arts from degree from Kent State University. Ann cherishes her experience with the Spirituals Project, an organization dedicated to educating others about historical significance of music. Ann currently teaches graphic design too and design for theater at Goshen College. She loves political discussions with her family members, fresh coffee first thing in the morning, and warm bright colors. Please help me in welcoming Miss Ann Barry. Um, I'm going to jump right in this morning um, by telling you a little bit about my uh, grandpa, Ho Stetler. Um, 
I hope there's, yeah, there we are together. <laughs> uh, he was the only grandfather I knew. Uh, he called me Shorty and chased me around with his cane. He was, he, he did. Uh, he was white, upper middle class, Republican, uh, probably would not have approved of my nose ring if he had lived to see it. He played the harmonica, he loved telling jokes, uh, and his eyes really did twinkle when he laughed. Um, when I was uh, little, I once asked him why he had such a big old pot belly, and he convinced me that he had swallowed a watermelon whole. <laughs> Um, I loved him so much that it, that it hurt, and it still does, even in the nearly 20 years since his passing. So I was shocked the day I found out as a kid that my beloved grandpa was racist. Or to put it more euphemistically, he held some of the prejudiced notions about black Americans that were widely accepted once upon a time. It was heartbreaking to find out that he objected to his white daughter marrying a black man. And yet, the extraordinary part of this particular story is not that my grandfather stood in opposition to my parents' marriage. The extraordinary part of the story, which I think speaks to the content of his character, is that somewhere along the line, he allowed himself to be transformed. For the sake of his family, he was willing to confront his prejudices so that by the time I came into existence, the very idea that grandpa had problems with a black son-in-law seemed ludicrous. By instilling their daughters with Mennonite Anabaptist beliefs about equality, my grandparents, perhaps somewhat unwittingly, uh, truly did interrupt the cycle of prejudice in their own family. Uh, my mother took my grandparents at their word. She believed in what they, and by extension the church, emphasized in their teachings. And I think this story helps shed some light on the complexity that exists when, when it comes to talking about race on this campus. Um, we like to think of ourselves, or may like to think of ourselves, as enlightened folk who are accepting of people from other cultures, countries, ethnic groups, belief systems, especially in a context where we actively recognize and celebrate diversity. But as the story with my grandfather illustrates, that we may embrace diversity intellectually or because we know it is the politically correct thing to do, it does not necessarily follow that we embrace it in our hearts or in our actions. My hunch is that race is a difficult topic because it engages us in a way that if we are willing to even go there to begin with, it compels us to look inside of ourselves and confront the parts that might not be so attractive. The parts of us that would be uncomfortable with a relative dating a person of another color. The parts of us that do in fact agree with certain stereotypes about certain groups of people based on our personal experience or even the parts of us that are simply tired of talking about race and tired of hearing about it, the parts of us that shut down at the very mention of the word race, or even the parts of us that think that we have already done our part. I am a product of Mennonite culture, the Mennonite church, Mennonite education, and even Mennonite privilege. I went to kindergarten here at the college. Miss Ashman was my teacher. She was the best. As a child, I had piano lessons with Marvin Blickenstaff, and if you don't know who that is, you should definitely Google his name. Um, there were also private voice lessons and private viola lessons, Mennonite high school choir tours, orchestra festivals and plays, and when I was a student here at GC, I overextended myself in ways that students inevitably do. Student Senate President, graphics editor for the record, chamber choir and operas, more choir tours art shows, coffee houses, kickoffs, and small group housing. I even admittedly pulled a few pranks on occasion. 
um, but in general was nothing if not involved in campus life here. Um, those are my Mennonite credentials, the somewhat tangible proof that I am a member of the Mennonite community here. And yet, despite my upbringing, there is a degree to which I am still an outsider, not necessarily in a bad way, but by virtue of the fact that I am a Mennonite of color on a predominantly white campus, my experience is fundamentally different. One example, uh, when I was on SST in the Dominican Republic, there was a period uh, towards the end of our time there that we talked uh, specifically about some of the persistent cultural issues that we struggled with. I was dumbfounded when there was a general sense of being tired of sticking out. I don't want to misrepresent the situation or my fellow SSTers because we were, we were all enriched by our experiences abroad. The important point is that I did not have the words to convey the idea that in fact, some people stick out most, if not all of the time, even in their native countries. And that happened to be the same summer that the KKK, still holding rallies, um, the KKK, the boogeyman of my childhood, chose to make another appearance and hold a, a rally right here in my hometown. Another example, um, the only black professor I've ever had is my own dad. Um, I have to state for the record that I did manage to get A's in both of his classes. <laughs> but as he likes to remind me, one of those A's was technically an A minus. So. Um, but likewise, I am the first, and in a number of cases, the only black professor that students both here and at Kent State have had and will ever have. I'm not going to comment on whether or not that is bad or good or what kinds of pressure that sometimes creates. That's a topic for another convo. Um, but it is yet another example how even my Mennonite street cred, as it were, or the privileges that my white European roots provide me with cannot shield me from certain realities that make me stick out in my own community. Being a person of color carries with it unavoidable symbolism, and whether I am dismantling negative stereotypes or perpetuating others in the work that I do, my deeds and my actions sometimes speak much more loudly than I ever intend for them to. I'm fortunate my family, my church, my community have nurtured me, excuse me, have nurtured in me a strong enough sense of self to avoid being encumbered by the psychological challenges that come with being a minority. A minority. And despite the fact that GC has a lot of work yet to do on the diversity front, it is an extension of the Mennonite church and offers a church theology that has created a place for me. And I think that's something um, everyone who's spoken today can agree with. A theology that rejected the sin of slavery and continues to stand against injustices that continue to be perpetrated against different groups of people in this country. Um, I'm going to end by sharing a bit about my students here at the college. I hope they don't mind. I won't name them specifically, but um, their first assignment is usually a writing assignment, and um, it's an opportunity for them to clue me into the kinds of stories that they carry with them and how those stories relate to art, design, and theater. Um, and these papers are confidential, but I am at liberty to share with you that one of the common threads in the storytelling is the notion that being white means being without story. The irony, of course, is that by doing the assignment, <laughs> students are actually dispelling that idea. So my hope is that this small assignment will help my students think about how they engage uh, larger societal issues 
because by articulating their stories, they begin to put themselves out there, participating in a real conversation, rather than sitting politely by and listening to me share about me. In your blackness, your whiteness, and all of the colors in between, I see you and I hear you. I know that your skin color is only one part of those larger stories and narratives. Uh, to some, my grandpa may look like just another old white guy, but there was much more to him than what was visible on the surface. In short, it is good to see color and to openly acknowledge difference, because when you say you do not see color, you are telling me that you don't see me, not really. And acknowledging the obvious differences in one another helps lead to the more significant conversations about the depth of who we are as individuals. Thank you. I once again like to thank Anne, Dominique, and Arvis. Now I'd like to tell you a little bit, just a little bit, about my own story. Coming to Goshen College was a huge culture shock for me. When I walked around the corner at home, I would see kids playing, people outside talking, but it was different here. If I walked around the corner, I was more likely to see a horse and buggy, which I had never seen until I actually came here. I had never heard of Goshen, Indiana, or Goshen College for that matter, until my senior year of high school. To be completely honest, I didn't know what a Mennonite was until I enrolled here. I enrolled here, I ended up enrolling at Goshen College in large part due to my lifelong, my long, lifelong friend, the Eric McCullum, who I had known since I was a snotty-nosed kid playing on the playground in Fraser Elementary. When I got here, it was hard for me. I roomed with Eric so that I could see a familiar face every day. But there weren't very many people on campus like us. When I say there weren't very many people on campus like us, I don't mean African-Americans. I mean there weren't very many people on campus from urban America like we had grown up. Walking, basketball wasn't as fun for me anymore. School was less interesting, and the people didn't seem as friendly. Walking down the sidewalk, on many occasions, I would say hi to people, and I wouldn't get a response. Some people didn't even acknowledge my existence. So I began to get more and more homesick. I would call home and my parents didn't even want me to come home because they knew what my hometown held for me. They knew the statistics, they knew the cycle. Let's be real, only 8% of African-American males graduate from college. I wanted to break that cycle. So my freshman year, I vowed to stay here and I vowed to graduate. Goshen is a place I was placed by God for some reason. I'm not exactly sure what that reason is, but I know I have met some people along the way that have helped me grow spiritually, physically, and mentally. I have grown into a man, still a little silly, and love to have fun and make people smile. But I have matured and feel like Goshen College as an institution and the people I met along the way have helped me do this and will live in my heart forever. I want to tell the new students at Goshen College from urban areas not to let Goshen change you or where you came from, but allow it to shape you into the man or woman you need to be. I lived my entire life in urban America and it taught me how to survive the streets. However, Goshen College has taught me how not only to survive, but excel in diverse environments. My children, nieces, and my nephews will all hear stories about good old Goshen College and some of the stupid things I've done in the past. But most of all, 
I will tell them about what I've learned from those same mistakes and how they have shaped me into the man I am today. Canton, Ohio will always be my home, and I will never forget the 330. But there will always be a song I sing whenever I think of memories past, though, and that song will go, 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 and go. Thank you, thank you. Our stories are now part of Goshen College history books. As we celebrate Black History Month, let us all remember that the founder of Black History Month, Carter G. Woodson, never intended for us just to celebrate the achievements of blacks for just one month, but he wanted black Americans to recognize, to be recognized in the nation's history and even in Goshen College history. Now that is freedom. First we came on the slave ships, now we standing firmer than pavement. Hear the spirituals, yeah we love to sing. Hear the freedom bell, yeah loves to ring. Under the lead of God's son, we broke barriers like Jackie Robinson. Follow leaders like Miss Tubman, Tommy Smith, John Collins, with some studs, man. Without Malcolm X, there's no me. No Dr. King, there's no steam. No civil rights, there's no us. We one people, that's one love. Freedom is worth the entire price. Black history is full of sacrifice. Looking back on the path is so amazing. Emancipation Proclamation was a great creation. what we wanted now it's what we got i say thanks to all the leaders that fought fought against racism fought for our rights right to walk around freely no need for fright martin luther king jr for real left his mark we can sit anywhere on the bus thanks to rosa parks we're trying our best to be the best another leader i won't forget is malcolm x there isn't really more drama we even got a black president named obama that is a first but we have yet begun sting loves black history month Thank you for coming this morning and please join us for further conversation and refreshments in the CITL offices where you can also pick up a copy of Dominique's book, Black, White, Mennonite. Have a great day.